Welcome back to the Foul Balls NHL podcast for Tuesday, November 7th. I'm here with Jordan Kaminsky as we break down the NHL games for tonight. His first time on the podcast here, and we talk about whether or not it's worth it to use the highest expected output on a given night for tonight. That's the Penguins at home against the Coyotes. So we, we talk about them a lot before breaking down the rest of the games. Uh, I'm going to lead with saying that I had basically ruled out using Pittsburgh players during this podcast, but I think at this point I might still be considering them. So let's not call it 0%. So keep that in mind as you listen to this, I guess. Okay, so let's go in the order of the slate, like normal people. What? Like game by game, like I was telling you that Greg doesn't do. Yeah. We're going to, oh, you want me to go, well, okay. But I am going to start with the Penguins here because that's the uh, overarching theme of the slate is whether or not to use the Penguins. I'm establishing the theme. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing. So the Penguins are minus 250 favorites, over under is six. And for that reason, mostly, they're going to be an insanely high-owned team. They're also, they have Sidney Crosby. They have a bunch of high-profile players. And they're the reigning Stanley Cup champs. There's just so many reasons why people will gravitate towards the Penguins. I know you like them, so that's you can speak to many of the reasons. But Arizona is terrible defensively. They've given up an insane number of goals this year. And they've had really bad goaltending, but Ranta's playing. So maybe Ranta can be decent. But he also hasn't played particularly well. But it's also the second night of a back-to-back for Arizona. It's another bump for Pittsburgh. Um, if I had to say who's going to score the most goals, which team for the night, the Penguins are definitely the best bet. But... They might be high-owned enough that we don't want to use them anyway. So all of that makes sense. Like the the Penguins, and is there any objections to the reasons for why the Penguins are going to be the highest-owned team? No, they, I definitely agree with that that point. And okay, so now we have to figure out should we use them or not. And I'll let well, it's probably more interesting to say why they're worth using. So I'll let you start with that before I disagree with everything you're going to say. Exactly. Okay. I think to a night like tonight, what was tonight? Six games? Or Monday, last night, I Yeah, guess. Monday night was six games. Tuesday. Tuesday, we have nine. So for Monday night slate, it was a six-game slate. And you look at a team like Winnipeg, who four days ago played Dallas, kicked the shit out of Dallas. And, I mean, you know, we talked about somebody we knew who won, had a winning lineup because of Winnipeg in that game. So you would think Winnipeg would be high on. What was what I sent it to you before? What was Shifley? Ten percent. Yeah, most of them were between five and ten percent. I think Shifley was the highest at ten percent. Yeah, and I mean, you think about the goal, the game that Connor had. I think Connor was something like four percent owned. Boston, Toronto. I mean, we liked the Rangers uh, last night. We had Washington against Arizona. There were so many good spots. I think we can use Washington's ownership numbers for a pretty good sense of what Pittsburgh would be, but I would tone it down just a little bit considering it is a nine-game slate. Right. So the similarity is that Washington just played Arizona, so now Pittsburgh's playing Arizona, but I think there's a higher public perception on Pittsburgh than there is on Washington because the Caps just haven't played well at all recently, and even though the Penguins have lost some games, they're still scoring. Um, And then it's the added bonus that the public likes of it being a second game of a back-to-back but even though there are nine games on the slate for Tuesday, I think what you were saying is that there were actually more good spots to use on Monday night. Like the No, I mean, look, you got Washington against Buffalo, which I know your point in that one is Washington's in the second game of the back-to-back. It's on the road. But Buffalo's defense has just been atrocious. So I still think that there's going to be some goals for Washington. We have St. Louis playing New Jersey. Again, it's on the road, but I still think that's a good spot for them. You have Edmonton and the Islanders, good spot for both of those offenses. Um, Florida, Carolina, I think it's a good spot for both. The, I, mean, I know you don't like Florida as much, but we like Carolina. Yeah. Um, Calgary against Vancouver, Montreal against Vegas. I well, mean, hold I on. Let like me stop you on those because I think we bit. generally agree that Pittsburgh – like we can probably be – pretty much in agreement on how much ownership the Penguins will get. We both think it's going to be pretty high. If there weren't all those decent choices, maybe it'd be 50% or something, but it probably will be in the 20s and 30s. So with that said, why do you still think it's 
a decent strategy to use them because I think we do agree on the ownership. Right. I mean, I definitely agree. Here's my, here's where I agree. I agree that Pittsburgh will be the highest owned team. I don't think that they're going to be too high owned that it will totally turn me off to them because, like I said, I think there's so many secondary options in this slate, this nine game slate, where I think that you can find you know other low ownership and other games where it can make it worth it to have Pittsburgh, who I think will absolutely blow up. My second point to using Pittsburgh, uh, in the last game, Pittsburgh didn't use their normal lines. They used Crosby, Gensel, and Kessel 18% of the time, even strength. And so if you go with that stack, I think it is a lot different than their uh, usual, where you know they have Sheary and Hornquist on that line. Well, I kind of doubt that people won't know the line combinations before the game starts. Like, do you think that the listed lines will be the bad information and then they'll just switch it mid-game like they've been doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that? Okay. Because I guess Sheary that's possible. Crosby Hornquist was still listed as the first line going into that Vancouver game. But in that game, Crosby, Gensel, Kessel ended up being the, the biggest uh, five-on-five. And those guys play on the power play together also. I guess if you're going to stack the Penguins, I think it makes more sense to stack the full power play than it does to just stack what probably is the top line because the top line is the obvious pick that most people will do. And if you just use the guys that aren't even necessarily not playing together, like Kessel, who might end up with Crosby anyway, you just stack their power play and maybe you end up with them switching lines and then that's just an added bonus. Their power play, they mix it up just as much. Um, they had Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Hornquist, Latang 33% of the time, but then they had Kessel, Gensel, Malkin, Crosby, Mata 20%, 21% of the time. So, I mean... If you're getting 21% of the time on the power play, that's pretty solid. And then two out of three is on the other well, 30. The other side of that argument with using the lesser-owned Penguins players is that there may not be low-owned Penguins players at all because there's such a high-expected goal output for this game that you might see a lot of people just use all of the Penguins players. Like uh, with Toronto, there wasn't a ton of ownership for their game against Vegas on Monday night. But every usable player was at least semi-owned because there was just a really high expected goal output. So you might have a lot of people just stacking the full Penguins team. So I get your point. Like you, you can probably make some low-owned combinations, but every one of those individual players will be individually high-owned. Maybe there are very few people who have the same grouping that you have, but every player in that lineup is going to be a high-owned player. So it, I think it's still... While you're creating some differential, some way to differentiate yourself from the masses there, it's not that much different because every player in that lineup is popular. Yeah, I mean, I just think when when we're going with, you know, 20 or so lineups and we only have, you know, three, four combinations of uh, cheaper own lines that we like, I have no problem with throwing, you know, Crosby, Kessel, Gensel, and just hoping that they play that 20% five-on-five time together and and dominate a back-to-back against so, uh, Arizona. Which is certainly possible, if not more. It might just be likely. But right. the thing is, it's well, the way that DraftKings and all daily fantasy tournaments, their payouts are structured, is unless you're really high up, you're barely making that, like you're not making that much money just by cashing. You're, the real way to win in tournaments is on occasion, you need to finish very, very high at the top. So if, yeah, you, top five, if top you were top. playing, let's say you're playing in like a triple up or a quadruple up where you only need to beat 75% or two thirds of the field or whatever, then you're not being rewarded for taking on extra risk. So in those, in those sort of payout structures, I would say use the Penguins because they probably will do well enough that the ownership isn't really relevant and you just need to finish in the top third or the top quarter. But finishing in the top third or top quarter doesn't really do much for you the way that GPPs are structured on DraftKings. Like if it's $4,000 to first place on a $4 entry, but it's only $20 if you finish outside the top like few spots, then you're not, you're not playing for high upside enough. The Penguins could score five goals tomorrow and you won't do well unless you have a perfect combination of the Penguins players. So I think well, like, you have to take into account the payout structure. Yeah, we we'll, could, uh, we'll see what we happens. see what the, what the uh, winning lineup is. 
you are you're you're going to assume well the the issue is that it it has to happen in sort of an abstract probability sense because if the penguins score five goals in the game and crosby has three points or something the penguins will be in the winning lineups just by sheer large numbers because enough people are going to have crosby that someone's bound to have him paired with the right guys where they end up winning but there's also the the alternate scenario where the penguins don't do particularly well and they're all really high owned. And if you didn't use them, you have a massive advantage over the field. And I do think there are there are other teams in good enough spots. And I also think Ronto is a good enough goalie where the Penguins could have a dud and other teams could do well. But that's why I don't mind having, you know, if we're talking 20 lineups, I don't mind having two lineups with the Penguins in them. So th- I think the general reason for people having the viewpoint that you currently have is... I'll call it some degree of fear of not having the right players. Like it, it's definitely a scary thing to fade what is obviously the most ideal, optimal spot on the board. But in hockey, there's so much randomness. Like, let's say in basketball, LeBron was priced half of what he usually is. He usually costs ten or eleven thousand, and let's say he costs only five or six. There's no value in fading him because LeBron can't have a dud if he plays thirty to forty minutes. The odds of him not scoring, let's say, 10 points and having five assists or something, it's zero. Like, he's going, he's in basketball, if you're on the court for long enough, you're going to get stats. Right. But in hockey, yeah, very high usage percentage and all that. Right. LeBron's not going to shoot 0 of 30 from the field. But in hockey, you could play the whole game and maybe just register two shots on goal. I mean, Brock Besser on the Canucks was the highest owned player on Monday night. He literally had 0.0 fantasy points. It definitely can happen, even if the value is strong. So even though I'm not predicting Arizona to win and I'm not predicting Arizona to hold the Penguins to, let's say, under three goals, it's it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Like, it's not even that unlikely. Minus 250 of a favorite for Pittsburgh, while very high for hockey, only implies they have a 70-something percent chance to win. Like they yeah, they, I mean, they absolutely saw, could do very poorly. the playoffs for years, Dan Girardi could lock down that Crosby <laughs> line. So if he could do it, I'm sure that uh, Arizona can. Well, I think that actually is a good rule of thumb. If Dan Girardi can do something, anyone can do it because he's really bad at hockey. So I'm not going as far as saying I'm using Ranta as a contrarian goalie, but I'm definitely thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, but see, that's – I feel like that's where I go with a lot of my lineups, where I do have lineups where I'll have something like – tonight's a good example. I used Arizona's goalie, Wedgwood, right? Yeah. Was it tonight? And they had a yeah. two nothing lead halfway through the game. Like there were there was some possibility that he would have ended up with a win. They the game went into it went into overtime. He could have had a bunch of points. But yeah, so I have no problem with using one side of like the public favorite while also having ownership on the contrarian goalie in other lineups. No, that's fair. But like I would have argued, there's no reason to use the caps at all. And look, I'll just make this point before we. And you were right. <laughs> I was, I, yeah, I, well, I wasn't going to say that because it's process, not results. I don't care about the results. The results are whatever. I'm not, no bragging on results. Um, but I'll just make this point. Like, I think a lot of people are scared to lose all their entry fees on a given night. So they diversify in that way and kind of just get some exposure to the chalky team just because they don't want to, they don't want to have a night where they lose all their money. But right. I think there's a better way to diversify and that's just to play a lot of days. So you can play, let's say your budget, you have $1,000 to play with over the course of a month. So instead of diversifying by putting all your money in every day and using all the teams, you just play 10 to $20 every day and that's your diversification. Okay, first day didn't work out. Now I get to play the next day. And you can just keep you, – you shouldn't be making suboptimal picks to diversify each day. You should be diversifying just by playing a lot of different tournaments. So you don't need to take the caps just to mitigate risk. There's no reason to do that. You can mitigate risk because you didn't bet all of your bankroll on a given night. And then, okay, fine. You didn't do well because you had the wrong picks on Tuesday and the Penguins scored 17 goals and you didn't have them. Now you can play on Wednesday. Like that That's the way to diversify where you're not making suboptimal picks. Enough Penguins. Yeah, that's enough. We'll probably, when we get to that game... When we pass over it, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I think that's enough. So let's actually figure out what other teams we like. Um, I'm going to start with a game that I'm definitely fading that I think you had mentioned you might be interested in. So Edmonton against the Islanders, the players are just so expensive that even though there's definitely some contrarian value there just a little bit, 
there's no way I can justify using Tavares at 7,900. I mean, McDavid is always in play, I guess, but it's not a good matchup in New York against the Islanders. They've been pretty good this year. Grice is it's been up and down, but I don't view that as a plus matchup. So no players for me from either of these teams. No, and Anders Lee priced up to 6200 Tavares up at 7900 I And mean, we talked about Tavares' price jump earlier, going from 6500 like on the 21st of October against San Jose, to now being up to 8100 the last game and 7900 this game. Um, it's just crazy to see that kind of price jump that quickly. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I'm off the Islanders. Um, Edmonton, I mean, I always have a little interest in going against uh, that New York Islanders defense. But also, like we said, Maroon was also priced up to an appropriate price now that he's on that, you know, McDavid dry saddle line. And you also have to worry about, is dry saddle going to be off the power play? Yeah, so... Yeah, I think I'm definitely staying away from that game. I, I, there's a lot of other options uh, tonight that I like a lot more. Yeah, Drysidle going to the second power play unit is really annoying. It makes it just tough in general to use Edmonton. Just very much against that. I don't know. I don't know what the reason for that is, but that just sucks. So then, the team that's really poor defensively, but it hasn't shown because they've gotten good goaltending. The Devils are interesting for both sides of a game because if Schneider doesn't play well on a particular night. The Devils could get slaughtered. They, um, yeah. They're they last in the league by a good amount in shot attempts per game, shot attempts per 60, uh, shots on goal, I think, even. Um, like, all the advanced metrics, Corsi is very strongly showing the Devils as a negative team. But none of that stuff accounts for goaltending, and Corey Schneider is really good. So there's upside for the Blues if Schneider doesn't play well because they're going to have a lot of chances. But I, I just don't think that it's likely enough for Schneider to – be bad that it's worth using them the blues are also really expensive basically every every game that they're playing yeah i mean the devils they definitely they're what's their expected goals against is uh ninth in the league five on five i like going against this defense here's here's the way i put it i'm not going to be on st louis if you're sitting there though and you're wrestling between the islanders and st louis the Blues' first line is only $900 more expensive than the Islanders, and I think the Islanders will probably have a little more ownership than St. Louis will, with the Islanders having a home game, the Blues being on the road. So I would advise paying up the extra 900 on the Blues if you do like both those teams. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, I'll be off the Blues as well. The Mass Maybe is definitely... D-Men as a uh, fill-in. Yeah. I do love my man Edmondson. <laughs> yeah, I know you use those guys a lot. Uh, the other thing with the Devils and then the Oilers, for as the opponents, um, the Edmonton has been really unlucky by Corsi percentage and shot attempt differential with um, how the public views them. So there's probably a reputation that Edmonton is bad and a reputation that the Devils are decent, and neither of those is true. So that's that's going to lead to probably yeah decent ownership on the Islanders, no ownership on the Blues. So if you had to pick one, I would definitely lean towards St. Louis, but I still don't like either team. See, with St. Louis, though, one more thing before we move on. Yeah. I also, their second line, I also love, too, with um, with Steen, Statsny, and I forget Sabotka who Sabotka plays with those guys, right? Yeah. Sabotka? Yeah, Sabotka? I don't know how to say that. And so, I mean, that's a cheaper way to go, where, I mean, if you if you do want to fade Corey Schneider, I mean, I, I don't hate it. I mean, I just don't love the Devils. I think, like we said, they've been so lucky this year. Um, yeah, I don't hate using the second line if you're using someone a little more expensive and want to fit them in. Um, and then people might use New Jersey just because they're fairly popular, kind of always. But they've been priced up a lot since the beginning of the season. Uh, Heeshear actually was in the 3,000s, and so is uh, Brat to start the year. And they're both over 5,000 now, so that's just there's no way that that's usable anymore. They've nah. They've exceeded their probably what their fair price is even. And Taylor Hall is up to 7,900, which is kind of an insane number for him. Uh, so I probably just won't be using the Devils ever again. I think it's just a permanent no. Um, uh, we actually did skip over one of the early games because I know you're a stickler for going in the order that the games are listed on DraftKings. That's something I have to keep in mind for future podcasts. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the Sabres are playing the Capitals. The Caps are coming off of 
a pretty disappointing game at home against the Coyotes. They won the game 3-2 in overtime, but Holpe led in two goals against Arizona, which I guess is a bad outcome. First two shots. Yeah, that's that's true also. It was a very bad start to the game for Holpe. Uh, But Grubauer is starting in Buffalo for this one. So I think that there's a decent case to be made for using the Sabres. The Caps have been really poor defensively this year. Um, And I think of this tier of, let's say, moderately expensive choices that the Blues and the Islanders are in, Buffalo is kind of the same level. But I just think that their chances of scoring a lot of goals are a lot higher. They're facing a backup goalie, second night of a back-to-back for a veteran aging team like Washington. Um, And I don't know that that's a major impact, but I just, I think it makes sense that a team like Arizona with a lot of young players is less impacted by a back-to-back than Washington with veterans. I just think that the veterans probably don't recover as easily. Um, Kind of just speculating, but I think that there's some logic there. So it could be a decent spot for Buffalo to score a lot. We actually don't have Vegas lines for a lot of these games yet. Uh, yeah, because you got a lot of teams on back-to-back, so you don't know who's starting in net yet. Yeah, Grubauer is the projected starter, but I guess anything could change there. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you on Buffalo. Um, I was looking at them a little bit earlier. The one thing, like you said, it's the price with Buffalo. Um, I mean, I don't like Jason Pominville. I mean, I don't see how you can, like... He also okay. doesn't play on the power play with Eichel and Evander Kane. Actually, Kane is on the second right, no, unit, Kane's too. on the second, so that's the other thing I don't like. It's not a power play stack. You have Eichel on the first, Kane on the second with Pominville. Um, and Pominville, I just want to pull up his game logs real quick. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been very hit or miss. I mean, he's had three multi-point games on the year. But other than that, he's been pretty quiet. Yeah, and I don't think he's played with Eichel the entire time, though, but he's played a good amount with Eichel. At least the last couple of weeks, they've been on the same line for pretty much all of it. I yeah, think, I mean, though, judging that, by his ice time, I mean, the whole year he's been averaging about 15 minutes on the ice a game, and it doesn't seem to have gone up any time recently. It seems to have been pretty steady. Right, because he's not playing power play time, he's not playing penalty kill time, so it's just not a lot of... It, no, no, no Pominville's on a second power play. Oh, is okay. Um, yeah, so I guess the lack of correlation between Eichel and those guys hurts, but I do like Eichel individually enough that I guess if we're using two cheap lines together or a cheap goalie and there's salary to pay up for someone, I think Eichel is probably a better play than McDavid or Tavares or Tarasenko or maybe some of those Pittsburgh guys. I think Eichel will be lower owned than all of those guys. Definitely the Pittsburgh guys. And uh, there's maybe even higher expected output for him than in some of the other top players. Yeah. I I actually have Eichel in a fantasy league, and I really want to drop him. I fucking can't stand him. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm just going to ignore No, it. it's one of those dumb fantasy leagues that counts penalty minutes and um, plus minus. Yeah, Eichel doesn't take enough penalties is the problem, because then he's on the no, ice. No, his plus minus is dog shit, because Buffalo sucks at defense. <laughs> yeah, you, sh- you should drop Eichel. That's a that's a good move for, for those no, out there. No, he's on the see- can't drop list. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah, season-long leagues suck. That's why you just have to play DFS. Yeah, for real. Okay, so we, we talked about Pittsburgh already. Do a little more now because that's the next game on our DraftKings list of games in order. So I have to say them so Jordan doesn't freak out. Um, I'm I'm not going to use any Penguins players. Uh, one more thing to throw in is looking at the betting data. 91% of the bets so far are on Pittsburgh. I expect that that will be continuing throughout the day leading up to the game. Everyone's going to bet on Pittsburgh. I don't know who the hell is betting on Arizona plus 200. In this matchup, I think everyone's just going to assume they're going to lose. So I'm considering Ronta. I think there's some value on the Keller line, but they've been priced up a decent amount. Keller's at 6400 now. He costs in the 4000s to start the season. I think he's had the largest price increase of any player in the NHL. Um, and then Stepan's 4800 Berlini plays on the first line now. He's Berlini's only 3300 though, so it's a cheap line overall. And... Arizona is also going to be my favorite spot to use plug-in defensemen because they have three guys that are really good that never cost that much. Ekman Larson's 4500 uh, Demers is 3900 and then uh, Goligoski, just looking for his price. 30, 30, 31. 
Yeah, if that's the cheapest for Golgowski in a while, he usually costs 32. I'll take that extra 100. You know what it is? It's Demers has been like, he had like the two point game, goal and the assist, and he's been like pretty good with block shots. Well, Golgowski's been a little quiet, which I like because now I can just use Golgowski as my fill in when I need him. And, yeah. Uh, Demers is kind of out on that. There was a while, though, where Demers and Golagoski were both on the second power play unit, but when Duclair got injured, I think that's the reason. I think Anthony Duclair got hurt, and he was playing first power play time, so when that happened, Demers got moved up to the first unit, so now there's more upside for him than Golagoski because he's playing first power play time, and Golagoski's on the second power play. So if yeah, you, I mean, you have to pick Demers they, they pulled the big uh, faux pas for us. They changed up their first line, so they no longer have full correlation with the power play. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I love that Stepan Keller-Domi line so much. I mean, they always had so much production and, you know, shots on goal and points. And then, I mean, Stepan is a good defender, would block a few shots here and there. Um, So you could always depend on them for fantasy points. But, yeah, at at that price, I'm... I mean, now you're not including Domi, though, so that's where... Yeah, that's what's going to have me off them, I think. Like 14,000 or so. I just really would like to go contrarian against Pittsburgh, but I don't think that Matt Murray will be particularly... He actually probably will be very high on. I think it's worth considering still, even though it's not not the best spot in the world. Um, The other stat, though, that I want to mention on Arizona relating to Pittsburgh is that one of the biggest sources of upside for, for daily fantasy hockey is power play time. I think the stat was, this is from Hockey Abstract, I think it's 8% of the game is power plays, but 21% of all the goals scored come on power plays. So there's you're 2.5 or so times as likely to see a goal when a power play is occurring. And that obviously makes it very important for you to have a situation where a team is likely to be on the power play a lot. But Arizona's actually been really good this year at not taking penalties. They have the second lowest uh, total penalties taken in the league this year. So the sample sizes, I think, need to be a little bigger for that to be too reliable. But at the very least, it's a good sign for Arizona that they haven't taken a lot of penalties so far. Um, so that limits Pittsburgh a little. I think it takes away from some of the power play potential, and it just makes me slightly more comfortable fading them. Uh, just a quick note, I just looked up uh, lines that have uh, full strength and power play uh, full correlation for tomorrow's slate. Uh, it's the Tavares line, obviously. The number one for the St. Louis, the Tarasenko line. Uh, the number two for Calgary, which we'll get to. I love them. Uh, Florida's number one. Vancouver's number one. Vegas is number one of Neil, which we liked tonight or last night. Anaheim and LA is number two. So, so the, one, the notable team there you didn't mention was the Penguins. So the combination of them not even having a lot of power play correlation and Arizona doesn't take a lot of penalties, it definitely limits the upside for Pittsburgh. Like I would say that the six goal total as a result of that probably is too high for that game. And yeah. maybe the Penguins win 3-2, they win 4-2 on an empty net or whatever. I, I don't think that there's enough expected output there to combat the ownership like we talked about before. But those power play stats I think are a big negative for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, I'm not one to bet against a goalie who's had Benoit Lair as a goalie coach. So, I mean, maybe we should be taking Ronta and going with an Arizona fade in a couple lineups. And uh, we're, we're uh, as Ranger fans, we know that Ronta is really good because we saw him with our eye tests. Just, and we deter- we've determined that Ronta is an elite goalie who probably will shut out the Penguins, right? Can, can, can Have I converted you on that thinking yet? Yeah, plus, I mean, he helped us get two great players who are helping the team so much and Leas Anderson and um, Tony D'Angelo. And, you know, we traded not only Ronda, but also Stepan to get those two highly valued players that are helping the NHL team today. It's always great when you trade away two key pieces for guys that don't get to play. That's always fun. Um, so hopefully that's enough talk on the Penguins game for everyone because yeah. I feel pretty strongly that I don't like them. 
And it's not a bias as a Rangers fan that I don't like Pittsburgh. I, I and now just, I think we actually move right on to my favorite line of the night. Too. Oh, yes. This is this is going to be a fun one to talk about. And I think this is my favorite team in the NHL besides the Rangers. Actually, maybe, I, maybe I'll just switch to being a Hurricanes fan now because they're just really fun. You'll and they, probably want to kill yourself. <laughs> well, I think it, it, to this point in the season, it's been very frustrating. But they're, uh, they're due or something or whatever the word is. So Carolina is... Minus 150 at home against Florida, and I think that line is trending up. There's a couple of books. I'm looking at the betting breakdown where the line is actually going higher than that. Um, the game probably will have close to a six total by the time it starts. Florida's really, really awful defensively, and I think people may not realize how easy it's going to be to keep scoring against them because Roberto Luongo's back, but Luongo's not that great. And Reimer, uh, who was playing before for him, is a decent goalie who I think was just getting screwed by terrible defense in front of him. And even if Luongo is a decent goalie also, it may not matter because they just have a terrible defensive team. So Carolina um, has been really solid defensively this year. They're actually the only team that's taken less penalties in Arizona. They have, I think, the best Corsi against percentage in the NHL. And that definitely is a huge boost for Scott Darling. So that's one of my favorite goalies. And then... Carolina's top forwards, I think, are awesome plays for fairly cheap prices, and I don't think that they'll be that high-owned either. Yeah, I mean, I love Carolina. Um, We discussed this a little bit before we started uh, taping. That last game, Carolina finally went with Skinner on the first line with Stahl and Lindholm, and I think that that's something where, number one, if that is what it goes with into the next game, that's great, and that's a great stack. The other part of it is, let's say that that isn't the first line going into the game and they do switch it back to where Skinner's playing with Ryan. I think Skinner has enough value in this game where it does make up for the lack of correlation if it if you do get screwed, if you do go with that. Yeah, Skinner's a good enough player and gets enough ice time that even if he somehow gets moved off the top line in the middle of the game, he's still going to play enough where he'll probably produce. Like, you lose your correlation, but... There's no scenario where Skinner gets benched. Like, he's not going to get taken off the top line because he's not playing well. He's the best player on the Hurricanes, so he'll maybe double shift or something that would cause him to not play as much with the first line. It's it, If he's not playing with the top guys, it may actually end up being a good thing. So with him being also on, I think, probably the first penalty kill unit and playing a lot of power play time, um, Skinner is just a good enough player that it, it just really doesn't matter. But I do think the trend of... Uh, Jordan Stahl, Jeff Skinner, and uh, Elias Lindholm playing all together. I think that will continue because if you look at the uh, the line combination breakdowns from the last few games, Aho has been struggling. He's a young player. I think that they want to give him easier matchups by playing him on a lower line. So yeah. it kind of makes sense that the Hurricanes are shifting the lines around to give a more experienced player uh, top line minutes. And the other thing I'm liking about a Carolina stack is if you look at their most recent game. Not only did they play Skinner, Stahl, and Lindholm together on the first line, they played them together on the power play. It, it was the second power play, which I don't get how you could ever go with McGinn, Rask, and Justin Williams over Jeff Skinner, Jordan Stahl, and Elias Lindholm. But I'm not an NHL coach, so clearly I know less than them. But um, not only that, it's Skinner, Stahl, Lindholm, Aho, and Hannafin. I mean, that is an awesome power play line. Where if you go with that, and that's I mean this this was their most recent game. That's where you get that's on left wing, um, but yeah, if you go with Skinner, Stahl, Lindholm, and then Hannafin or Falk isn't a bad option there. Or uh, who was the third defenseman we talked about? Uh, Slavin, who I don't think plays on the power play, but he plays a lot of minutes. So exactly, he doesn't play on the power play, but I mean he averages two block shots in a game along with two-and-a-half shots. So he's a guy who does a little bit of everything in terms of fantasy value for us. The other thing um, that I like about Carolina is that they're coming off a 2-1 road loss to Antiranta and the Coyotes, which is probably only because they're a great team. So I think you'll get Carolina at very reduced ownership coming off that dud of a performance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that could be a really high upside pick if they do well against Florida. And the Panthers... The Panthers have given up an obscene amount of goals this year. Uh, I had the standings page up before, but they are the fourth worst in the league. They've given up fifty-six goals in thirteen games, 
So when you think about it, the two teams who are tied at 58 ahead of them, they've both played 16 games. So 56 and 13 games is pretty brutal. Yeah, and then Corsi allowed per 60. I think Florida is the worst in the league also. We're right up there. They're, they're, they're very close to the top. So Florida is an intriguing team that I, that I think we use a lot for stacks just because they're good offensively. The Barkov line is really strong. Definitely not using them here on the road against a really strong Hurricanes team with good goaltending and good defense. But yeah. the Panthers are a decent team only because of their offense. They're terrible defensively, and Carolina probably should be able to do very well against them. So I think that's that's going to be my favorite team to use. Just I hadn't really come to a consensus for myself yet on my favorite team to pick for the night. But I think it's Carolina. You look at um, Carolina's Corsi against per 60 – it's the third lowest in the NHL, um, and a home matchup. That's obviously a pretty good spot for me. I still don't hate Florida. I mean, well, hold on, I'll stop you there because the other issue for Florida is that they're pretty reliant on on power plays. They get all that power play correlation from the first line, but the Hurricanes have by far the lowest rate of taking penalties this year. So you're losing a lot of that bonus. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just and think there are good spots for Florida, but not this one. Yeah, they're and they're going to cost you a little bit. They're going to be like, I think it's eighteen seven. So yeah, they've been priced up a little bit because they've been awesome a few times recently. They were especially That's, good in a game where they lost eight five to the Lightning, but their top line scored four goals. They've had, they've had a few games like that. And that's what I really love about this um, Skinner and Lindholm stall. It's only seventeen thousand two hundred. So you're really saving salary, so when you go with your your secondary lines, you can go with something a little more expensive um, and, you know, get a little creative with with the combinations that you have with Carolina. Um, I I definitely would say Carolina is going to be where I have the most exposure tonight. So the next game has the huge trade as being a pretty big implication, although I Okay, well, I'll mention the trade first. Kyle Turris was acquired from the Senators for Nashville um, in a three-way deal where Matt Duchesne was the centerpiece. And Turris, I don't think, is expected to play in this game. I don't think he's in – well, the game's in Columbus, so I just don't think he's made it there in time. It looks like he's questionable, but there's some report here, if you're looking at his DraftKings page, that they don't anticipate him being eligible. So without Turris, it's just the standard – Predators roster. They're getting the Blue Jackets on a second night of a back-to-back, but the game's in Columbus. So with them being pretty expensive, Columbus, I guess I'd have interest in Nashville if Bobrovsky doesn't play, and we, we have no idea at this point. But I think that Nashville is just too expensive relative to the other teams we like. And then Columbus also, I think that they're playing against a pretty good defensive team. Um, Nashville is sort of decent, but Columbus is also fairly expensive. And then the other issue with Columbus is that they're as spread out in terms of their lines as any team in the league. Tortorella has basically put good players on every line, so you can't really find much correlation there, and their power play is all spread out too. Um, So this game is probably just an entire fade. Yeah, I mean, and it is pretty surprising. Columbus actually has the highest expected goals for the season. Um, But... Or five out of five, at least. But, um, no, I totally agree. This is a fade for me. Not only is it a fade in terms of the game um, on the Columbus side, I think the only part of this game that I have any interest in is uh, at goalie. I definitely like if Rene starts. I definitely like him with Columbus. Columbus will have a lot of shots on goal. Um, second of a back-to-back. Um, I think that it's a... I think what was he? What was he? Seventy two hundred. I think we said. Yeah, right? and Columbus is also missing Cam Atkinson, so there's less conversion potential. They're they they're probably a lower shooting percentage team without him by a decent amount. So it, it'll be easier for Rene to make saves without Atkinson being in the lineup. I think he's missed the last few games. It's tough for me because Rene at seventy two hundred or Ranta, I think it's sixty nine hundred. There's a lot more upside in Ranta because if he happens to have a good game, you're beating so much of the field that has Pittsburgh. Um, Rene is probably pretty contrarian too and that's a less risky pick because you can still do well even if let's say the Penguins beat the Coyotes and they score four goals on Ranta um, and you have Rene and didn't use Pittsburgh you're not dead with those lineups Uh, it's definitely safer to use him but I still view him as kind of a risky pick just because it's a hard matchup in Columbus so that I'll call Rene my second favorite standalone goalie 
after Ranta if you're going for a high upside guy. He's he's worth considering, though. That's uh, that's just cheaper than he usually is. Yeah, when I think about Rene, I mean, I think you and I both agree Rene is not one of our favorite goalies in the NHL. Um, he has started well, but the shot volume's there. I mean, I think he's seen under 30 shots. Well, let's say under 28 shots twice this season. Um, I think this is what you're getting at. I'm not sure if there's any evidence that we have to back this up, but this is just what it seems like, that Nashville, however they play defense, forces teams to take a lot of low-danger shots where they're they're getting teams to shoot a lot of shots from the point, from the, from the boards, where they're giving up a lot of shots on goal, but they're not high-quality shots. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and like you said, I have no evidence to back it up, but I mean, when you just look at, you know, Rene's game-to-game, the shot volume has been there almost every single game. So against the Columbus team on the back-to-back, I mean, I think that's a pretty decent spot, especially getting him at 7,200 with this with the start he's had, I think is uh, pretty underpriced. Okay, so we now have another game where there's a ton of value on the team, but figuring out which players to use from that team is going to be really difficult. So the Golden Knights just played a pretty decent game against the Maple Leafs where they lost 4-3 in a shootout on the road. Um, they were down 3-1 and actually came back and forced overtime. So they're playing the second night of a road back-to-back. Maybe you add a little bit of an, of another downgrade because they had to play an extra five minutes in overtime, whatever that's worth. But Montreal has such, they they've been the most prone to mixing their lines up of any team in the league this year. And their power play lines are all over the place so I like Montreal a lot for doing well against Vegas, but I, I really don't know how you determine which players to use here. Yeah, they, they definitely they switch up the lines a ton. I mean, you go look at the combinations for the last three games on left wing. I mean, it's way more combinations than any other team has in the league. It's absurd. But um, especially for just the last three games. But they've been very consistent in... Pacioretty, Shaw, and Deneau getting time together. And then also Drew and Galchenyuk and Lekkonen. And so, while it might not correlate 100% on the power play, I feel pretty good stacking you know either the first line or the second line in lineups, especially with like a lineup like Carolina. You're talking about Carolina's at 17.2%. You can get Montreal's one of Deneau, Shaw, and Pacioretty for 14-9, and then Drew and Galchenyuk and Lekkonen for 13-6. So you're talking about cheap lines where you'll still be getting pretty good, um, pretty good defensemen and a pretty solid goalie. Well, the other thing that I think will be my more likely route for using Montreal, and I think I kind of feel similarly with Carolina, is that when you have a team where you're uncertain about the line combinations – and the power play units are kind of mixed across the lines. There's no real power play correlation. But you do think that the game has a chance of being a blowout where Montreal could score five or six goals. You just don't really know exactly who the players will be. I think that that's the spot where you go with the full onslaught team stack where you just use as many Canadians players as possible. You make lineups with six Montreal Staters and maybe it's Carey Price and Ned. I'm not sure if he's actually going to be back from his lower body injury. I fucking hope not. (laughs) Carey Price has been really, really awful this year. And Montreal has actually been incredible in terms of shot differential. The reason they aren't winning is because Carey Price has just been complete dog shit. So we can ignore the goalie for a second, but I think that the, the move for the Canadians is just to stack many of their players together in the same lineup. Maybe you put all top six forwards together. Maybe you use scattered power play units with Shea Weber on D or just whatever combination seems to make sense in terms of prices because the Canadians should dominate this game. Vegas is very bad. They performed well against an overrated Leafs team with Austin Matthews probably not being at 100%. He was a game-time decision for that game. And now they're on the second night of a back-to-back. So this is an incredibly strong matchup. I think I think the move is to use just a full Canadian stack for this game. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see myself having a lineup where it's the top six forwards because Pacioretty, Shaw, and Lekkonen and Druin are on your first power play. Uh, Deneau and Galchenyuk are on your second power play. So you go with those six. How, how does uh, 
Vegas do in terms of taking penalties? That was just what I was going to look up. That's, that's, I'm glad we're on the same page here. And I have to refresh it because this uh, Corsica hockey tab keeps shutting down for a second. Okay. Yeah, dude, it's so annoying you have to refresh it every time. Uh, it's, it's, if you're it's, listening, fuck you, Corsica. <laughs> if, if the guys at Corsica Hockey are listening, you should make it so the page doesn't need to be refreshed so often. Vegas is right in the middle of the pack in, in taking penalties. They're okay. it's seventh best, but everyone in the, from seven to 20-something is bunched up at basically the same number, so... It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-event in terms of penalties taken. But also, I think, because they're on the second night of a road back-to-back, they're more likely to make lazy plays and take more penalties. Yeah, and then, I mean, when you think about the fact that Montreal is the third-best Corsi 4 percentage, um, I mean, their expected goals for is uh, it's pretty high. It's 31. That's fourth in the league, uh, right behind our beloved Rangers. I, this is an amazing matchup. We've been betting against Vegas so many times, and we've gotten burned. If we get burned again, I'm so okay with it because this is, like, to not go with Montreal on a night like this, I mean, I'm going to have a Montreal stack. I'm going to be throwing Montreal into lineups with more expensive people just because of their prices at 14.9 and 13.6. I mean, I love that Druin lineup of Druin, Galchenyuk, and Lackanen. At thirteen six, stack them with the more expensive line. There's I mean, so many ways to go about this because there's just exactly, so many players so many that could do well for them this, with these with this team. Um, yeah, I mean, I I love Montreal tomorrow. Also, who's going to be in net? I mean, every Vegas goalie is pretty much dead at this point. Yeah, they're on their fourth and fifth string goalies, so that's another boost. And by the way, there there have been games where we've gone with stacks against the Golden Knights, and it's worked. Uh, the Islanders and Rangers both scored six goals against them recently. So those those were good outcomes. I think those were both within the last two weeks. Uh, so I'm going to make a bold prediction and say the Canadians outscore the Penguins, just number of goals for the game. I think that that's not even unre- unrealistic at all. So then, on the same note, you're probably also betting that the winning lineup has Montreal players in it. Yeah, and it's going to be mine. That's that's also what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I'm it's going to be mine. Victory. You know why? Because I'm going to stack Montreal with fucking Pittsburgh, <laughs> and they're both going to score like eight fucking goals, and I'm going to be the happiest person in New Jersey. Well, okay then. I, I You'll win if that's the case, because I, yeah. won't, I won't be using the Penguins. Uh, we have two... I think we, we should just close out with these last two games that we don't really have to talk about, because... They're both fairly uninteresting. I know there's one line in particular within the four teams that is, I think, semi-interesting and usable. But just overall, the Canucks are a really low-event team that plays low-scoring games. They are very conservative in the way they play. Uh, It's just kind of hard to generate a lot of chances against them. And they have decent goaltending. So even though it's the second night of a back-to-back for them, um, Markstrom played Monday night. I think Nielsen will play Tuesday night. And they're kind of similar goalies. There's not really much value there. Calgary... Kind of the same thing. Um, I don't think you can really use Vancouver forwards. I know the Horvat, Besser, and Bershti line has been incredible recently, kind of all season. But in Calgary, against a pretty good team, that's they've been priced up too a little bit. I think that's going to still be a high-owned spot because of how good they've been. Um, so I think this is the time to fade them. I haven't recommended yeah. fading the Horvat line in a while, but no interest there. And then I think just no interest at all in the Kings-Ducks game. So... That Flames second line, I know you like, um, and you had mentioned for a leak was on the second power play unit. Is that? Are you sure that's true? Because I don't know if he is or isn't. Let me jump into. Yeah, we have to check that because I I think that there's not full power play correlation for the Calgary second line. Although I do think that that's a really strong line in general. While you're doing that, though, I will mention that there's been a ton of line movement to the over in the Kings Ducks game. The total went from five to five and a half already overnight. <clears throat> May, I, I really have no idea why that would be happening. Just uh, just an interesting change. I think the Kings just kind of are overrated defensively, and Jonathan Quick has just played over his head this year. So there might just be a little more value on the Ducks than the public perceives. So I think the Ducks are undervalued for sure, but I don't think it's enough to use them. Uh, they're also not really that cheap. So yeah, just before you get into the Calgary second line again, I think if you had to pick a side of the Kings-Ducks game, it would be Anaheim. And if there's stronger line movement throughout the day on Tuesday, maybe I'll consider them. 
At this point, though, I think undervalued yet still not really that usable. Yeah, so you're right on for a leak. Um, it does look like they took him off the power play a little bit ago. Yeah, that's brutal because I, I really was. <laughs> Just uh, okay, let's make this easy because we both do like the Flames, but I'm going to say that we probably agree that there are just a few better spots, so some Flames exposure, but the expected output on the Hurricanes and Canadians is just so strong that I think almost all of my lineups are going to involve one of those two teams, if not both. I think it does make sense to put them together in lineups too. Um, If you use just the most expensive players from both teams, that still fits within the salary constraints. So I'm leaning very heavily on Carolina and Montreal. And even though there are other interesting spots that we mentioned, like Buffalo, like Calgary here, um, I guess Pittsburgh for you, but not really for me. Uh, And then the Blues also. I just, I feel so much stronger about Montreal and Carolina that I think almost all of my lineups will be composed of one of those two teams. But you do think you'll also have some Blues in there? I think it's hard to say because you are going to need plugins. You know, you can't use skaters from only two teams in every lineup. So I'll definitely have some Tarasenko, definitely have some Eichel. Beyond that, I'm really not sure. But the, the one thing that I'm definitely certain about is that I will have a lot of exposure to Carolina first line, probably all of Carolina, and then as much of Montreal as I can. How about uh, this guy, Cindy Crosby? <laughs> yeah, any exposure there? I really don't think so because – there's no way a player whose first name is Cindy can be good at hockey, so I think uh, I think that's just a no. No, but I mean, I do love, um, like, as a plug-in, like, on some of these games where we don't like some of the higher-priced guys, as in, like, Tavares and Lee, I think a guy like Josh Bailey could be, a, like, a nice plug-in if you didn't want to go with a full stack of three and three forwards and you needed an extra forward. If you're using like a defenseman in one of those stacks, I think Josh Bailey at 4,900 is a pretty nice fill-in. Um, I mean, he's the same exact price as Lindholm, so that's a pretty nice spot for. Yeah, there is a there is definitely something to be said for the Islanders' cheaper guys that aren't John Tavares because they're all they have some really good forwards in their top six. So I'm not I'm not ruling them out. I I agree with you that those guys are. Providing some value. The second line especially, I think no one will be on them. That could be a very low-owned team to get some exposure to. All right, well, that'll wrap up this NHL episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back tomorrow with football and basketball.